Good morning. Well, it was like a good morning wave, like at the baseball game. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning. Start the good morning wave. Um, can I give you guys a couple of announcements before we get into uh, before we get into the study today? Here we go. Boom. Um, first of all, welcome to church, everybody. Um, I uh, can't think of a better way to spend a beautiful summer Sunday morning than by um, the healthy rhythm of gathering with other people and worshiping the one who put the sun in the sky, who decided that the sun wouldn't just be light, but that it would also give heat, and uh, who had a little extra something special in mind when he designed the, the Northwest in July. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yes. Glad you're here today. If you're new to the church, um, more than anything, we just want to say welcome. Um, sometimes when you roll in, especially if you roll in a couple minutes late to a new place, you kind of sit down and, and you're like, you assimilate so no one notices you. And then when church is over, you can boogie real quick so no one will notice you. But the, the reality is, um, this is a place that is that uh, you are welcome uh, as you are as we, you'll see when our from our study today you're welcome with the questions that you might have with the doubts that you might have um, you're just welcome as a person so we hope that you were said hi to today and if you weren't hi I'm JJ I get the honor of being the pastor here and uh, and welcome with that our main bulletin Churches have bulletins. It's Christianese. Um, now we call them newsletters because we're hip. But um, it's a way, like, how do we let people know in our city, in our community, and in our church family what's going on? Because life is busy. So we have our main one is an online bulletin. Um, we do that two ways. Number one, through uh, a, an email that you can get, that you, you get every week that just reminds you, hey, this is going on this week. Like, for instance, uh, for 200 points, what is going on here tomorrow night from 6.30 to 8? Prayer is happening. Whew, 200 points. Who said it first? You, Richard did. He beat you. Sorry. Sorry. You get nothing. You're in second place. That's like the first loser. Um, but it was good. So tomorrow's prayer night. Coming up on July 30th, so next Saturday, we're doing a lake day. So um, it's just a chance to get together and hang out. We're going to have some, we're going to grill some burgers and some hot dogs. Ooh. Kids love hot dogs, though. And we're going to play in the lake and just hang out. So that's, that's uh, all the info that you want is... Uh, either at the website under announcements or after church. This whole back zone over here, we call that our connect corner. So it's just ways to get connected with things that are going on. Someone will always be there after church. So if you have any questions like, hey, what time is that? Should I bring anything? Um, any of those questions, just visit one of the lovely faces. Today it's going to be Marissa right there. There she is. So she'll be back there all smiley 
and she will answer any questions, okay? All right, those are two things that are coming up. And then, have you guys been seeing these around? If you filled them out, don't worry about filling them out again, but if you haven't filled these out, these are two little surveys that, uh, that we have that I would ask as a friend that you would fill out because there are a couple of questions on here that helps me and helps our leadership team think about uh, maybe the next book of the Bible we were teach or, or if we were to do a, another series on something, another night of the week, what could be helpful for you? So one of them is if JJ were to teach a series of classes on a certain topic, it says I would definitely be there and then there's like some things I've been thinking about. If you would just check those, they're on the back table, drop them in the offering box, that would be sweet. Sound good? All right. Let's pray. And uh, as I'm going to pray now, would you open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 13? So, Father, we thank you for this morning. Man, it was, it was great to sing that last song. I haven't sang that song in a long time, and I, I instantly went back, Lord, to a place in my life where I just remember singing that, that, uh, that line, help me to know you more. I, it's, a, it's a desire of my heart. It's always been a desire. But just the simplicity of being back in a place where I didn't know your word very well. I didn't know the things you were going to do in my future. I was just experiencing your grace and your presence and the fact that you were even real um, kind of in a new and very fresh way almost every single day. And I just remember being like, help me know you more. And now here I am, however many years later, Lord, and uh, knowing you more, and, but it's still our prayer. So we gather today on this, this beautiful Sunday morning in Bellingham, Washington at the Bridge Community Church, and our prayer is this, Lord, help us to know you more. So as we open your word, you tell us that your word speaks of who you are. And it also teaches us and instructs us and gives us wisdom. So, Lord, we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would accomplish all that you want to accomplish today. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 12, we're going to pick up. Where we've been, Mark 12, let me get there, and we're going to start in verse 18. Got a big, actually, another big text today because this is all kind of happening at the same time. This is Jesus's, we're zooming in on Jesus's last week of his life uh, before he goes to the cross. We're looking at Tuesday. Jesus will be on the cross by 9 a.m. on Friday morning, and we're, we're just rewinding back to Tuesday, and this is kind of the last week of Jesus' life. I'm calling this morning Interrogating Jesus. Interrogating Jesus. There's a, there's a text. We started it last week, talking when they were asking Jesus if they should pay the, the Roman tax, and then we go into two questions we're going to look at today. And um, this section of scripture has been known by some to be called the interrogation of Jesus. And so let's, last week we answered one question. We're going to answer two more 
questions today. Starting in verse 18. Let me read to you guys. And the Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves him a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. They're quoting the law recorded in Deuteronomy. And then it says, verse 20. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died. It's like a math problem. Do you remember the story problems, the word problems? They're the worst. Because you can answer the ones with numbers. Then you get to the word problem, and you're like, okay, where's the, you're looking for all the key terms. So this, anyways, okay. Uh, And the seven, last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. I want to start off by saying to each of us, questions are part of the process. The questions that you have are part of the process that you're in. But over time, parents, you can back me up on this one, with our kids, don't we hope that their their questions that there gets to be a progression to the questions. We say stuff like, there's no dumb questions. But over time, there start to, you, as knowledge increases, questions change a little bit. We're going to look at two types of questions today. And what we want to look at is not so much what the question is, but where the question comes from. So this first, this first one, I'm calling this, the hypothetical question. The second one, we're going to look at more of a genuine question. We're going to look how to spot the difference. Number one, for when we are coming to God, are we coming to God hypothetically speaking? Or are we coming to him with a a genuine heart and openness? I'm going to say this first question is a hypothetical question. If you look at it, again, let me read it. Now let me put it in the tone that I believe that this situation went down. And the Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. If you're a Bible student, underline that, who say that there is no resurrection. When you're trying to describe who the Sadducees are, but different than the Pharisees and the scribes and the Herodians and all of these names that we hear that sound like historical figures, the Sadducees were set um, very highly in the political structure and they helped govern and make laws of the land. But one of the main differences, they didn't believe in an afterlife who say there is no resurrection, sort of this is what you get. So do what you can because this is what you get and when you die, it's over. They believed and lived according to the first five books of the Bible. 
Five, penta. You can think of the Pentateuch. Maybe you've heard that term before. It's the books of Moses. And so they kind of lived and and filtered their whole world through that. Jesus is going to say that they obviously don't because they're missing the point when it comes to the afterlife. But that's who the Sadducees are, who believe there is no resurrection. Now they're going to ask Jesus a question about resurrection. They came to him and they said, hey, teacher, Moses, whom they followed, wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Okay, so they're quoting a law from the book of Deuteronomy, from the law that God gave Moses, Mount Sinai. Um, and here's where, why this law was put into place. In ancient cultures, women's rights was like not a thing. If a woman was married, that showed her standing in certain societies. And if her husband died, there was no one to um, protect her livelihood. Uh, Inheritance a family member could take. They they were just really vulnerable. And so this was a law to make sure that, that widows... And kiddos, that's good. I should write that down. (laughs) Widows and kiddos were taken care of. So this law was not to be a burden to um, the woman, but a blessing. If her husband were to die, it was an honor for a brother who was unmarried um, to come in and assume and take. Now, that'll preach to what Jesus does to us. And it helps you to understand the story of Ruth better and, and the kinsman redeemer, someone that would come in and take care of you. So they were saying, that's what the law says. That's good. Then they said, so I got a question for you. Imagine if there were seven brothers. Okay, not just one, but let's say there were seven brothers. The first one dies, no kids. Second one comes in, marries her, no kids. He dies. Third one comes in, takes the uh, responsibility. He dies, up to seven of them. So regarding the resurrection, when she gets to heaven, who gets her? That's the, the hypothetical question. And it's coming with an attitude of... Uh, disrespect and disregard. The Sadducees, like the others, wanted to embarrass Jesus with their questions. So with this trick question, they were able to show their doubts concerning the resurrection of the dead or the afterlife. Now, when we interrogate someone, we are looking at things strictly from our point of view. It's not so much a desire to understand where someone else is coming from. It's saying, here's what I see, now answer the question. It's an interrogation tactic. We make a mistake as people. Now, I want to talk about us to God, and then I'll tell you the other one after that. We make a mistake as people when we try to get the kingdom of God to fit into already our 
already built framework. Meaning when you come to God and you've already built in your mind what he is like, what his kingdom is like, and then you try to get him to fit into that, the tone and manner in which you ask questions is an interrogating manner. Hey, Jesus, you hear things like, I would never serve a God who. How could a God of love who? You're making assumptions about who God is, and then you're trying to fit him into that spot. It's a hard place to come to Jesus because it never ends up well because you're already coming in saying, you know who God is already. That's what's going on here. And the second one, I'll just say it now, and I'm going to kind of interweave them because I'm always thinking about when we read the scripture and we're studying God's word, this is, ba- this is how we relate to God. But a lot of times it's also how you can call it the world or people who don't walk with Jesus. But they're doing this with, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've had some of these experiences. People have preconceived notions about who Jesus is, what the church is, based on, based on all sorts of things. And so you can feel interrogated. Let me give you an example. I was on the chairlift one time, and um, I had a Jesus sticker on my board. Remember the SFC Jesus stickers? Okay, so I just had a sticker that just said Jesus on it. I put it on my board. For me, and I had Jonah's name written on my front binding and Ollie's name written on my back binding. So it's like when I look down at my feet, when I strap in, there's just, I'm, you know, weird, and I like to think about, the things that like are real important in life. I'm grateful and I just looked down and the Lord's name was on there. Anyways, I was on the chairlift and someone looks over one day on the, it was a powder day. I was up at Baker. It was just dumping snow. It was fun. And someone looked over and they were like, Jesus, huh? And I was kind of like, good morning to you too. But I didn't. I'm like, yeah. And he's all, that's the dumbest sticker I've ever seen. I got an idea, and he goes off and he talks about why don't you put all these other religious people's, you know, sticker on the board and, and then put all the stuff. And I was like, clearly, he was coming from a place of preconceived notions about who Jesus is and therefore who I am. I was like, how do I answer this question, this hypo- the, like this hypothetical thing? And I was just like, I just introduced myself. I'm like, hi, I'm JJ. Conversation ended after that. <laughs> but um, I was like, wow, I got off. And, I, and, and it was like the Lord just said, He's, I see where, ev-. it's almost like I felt the Lord say, I see where everybody is at. Like he knows where everybody is at. And that they're not all in the same place. That's what's going on here. And it's a mistake when we try to get the kingdom of God to fit into our framework. Why? Because the kingdom of God is built on a whole different foundation than the things of this world. They asked the wrong question. They had the wrong motives. They wanted to trap them, and they were trying to make them look like a fool. Jesus is going to point out two things that they missed as do most hypothetical sort of out there questions that people have about 
the things of God and the kingdom of God, the purposes of God. Here's what they missed. They missed what God said and who God is. My eye itches. This is where a lot of people are at. They miss what God said and who God is. Check this out. Verse 24. And Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? So he says straight up, you're wrong. They didn't say, am I right? They were telling him to prove that he was right. And he said, you're, you're wrong, and I'm going to tell you why. Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because, this is a great verse to underline, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Here's why you're wrong. You don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. Your question is off base because you're off base. Verse 25. For when they rise from the dead, saying that there is life after death, they neither marry or are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? Twenty-seven, Verse 27. He is not... God of the dead, but of the living, you are quite wrong. Now, there's a lot in that little um, chunk right there. Let me give you the street level what's going on, because we want to look at also the next question that's happening that happening after this. What are they missing? They did not know the scriptures. They said they followed the first five books. Jesus is going to say, you obviously weren't paying attention, but here's what, they, they did not know what the Bible said. Isn't that often the case when people say, how could Christians this or this and that? It's like, that's, people say, well, the Bible says, and this, I'm like, the Bible, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what God said. But is it not the thing that the devil most wants to attack more than anything? He did it in the Garden of Eden. It was his first tactic. It's still the most powerful. Did God really say? Didn't he really mean more like he tries to change what the word of God said. If he can change what the word of God says, he can change people's opinion of what God meant, of who God is. This is what Jesus is saying. You don't know what God said, and you don't know who God is, the power of God. Here's what he says about not knowing the scriptures. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, remember, we're talking about a wife, a hypothetical, a wife, seven different husbands. The question is, when they go to heaven, if there is such a thing, they might have been like, who gets her? Jesus doesn't answer the question. He says, it's the wrong question. And, but now he's going to teach something that I want to, I want to, we're here, we're going through it. I want to point out a couple things about this particular thing Jesus says. First thing, when we stop breathing here, life doesn't end, but it ends as we know it completely. It's different. You can read this right here and you're like, wait, that sounds different. 
For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Miracle on 34th Street, is that the Christmas movie? And it's like every time a ring, ring bells, an angel gets his wings or something. That's not to make fun of the movie, but you don't turn into an angel when you go to heaven. You become, what is, well, if you don't turn into an angel and you become like an angel, what does that mean? What is he talking about? Well, what are angels? Angels are individuals. They are eternal beings. Um, they are in different ways in service to God. They're not bummed out. They're not like, oh, this job, just God's so demanding. It takes all of my time. I have nothing else to do. There's a joy at, that is not experienced here. So at the street level, meaning like, you guys know what I mean, like not at like the fifth floor of the, people have been thinking and breaking this down forever. What is, but like the reality, what Jesus is saying on this Tuesday in the temple is he's saying, you guys are missing the point because it's not who gets her, whose property is she in heaven, which one of the seven, it's a whole different thing. People aren't, Mar- there aren't, we're not going to perform wedding ceremonies. There's going to be one wedding ceremony in heaven, and that's with uh, the groomsmen, the Lamb of God, and the people of God, which is called the Bride of Christ. It's going to be different. Jesus moves it from hypothetical to real. Life doesn't end, but it does change. And personal interpretation of this verse depends greatly on how good your earthly marriage is. For people who are not married or given in marriage, some people are like, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you're, because maybe your earthly marriage is bad. And, you, and this is your chance. You're holding on. They're not married or given in marriage. And you're like, yes. That's like God's way of saying divorce is okay once I die. But that's not what, he's be, what is being said or... I got to be honest, and I've talked to, I've thought about this other thing that I'm going to say right now a little bit more. It makes heaven sometimes seem like, are you sure it's cracked up to be all you say it is, Lord? Because I love my marriage. I'm my best friend. What does that mean? We're not going to be married anymore in heaven? Some people will take this verse and they'll say, there'll no longer be um, sexes. You know, male, female in heaven. You become like the angels. That's what some would say. So there's no longer, I would say I'd, from scripture, I don't, I don't see that as truth because God before sin created them male and female. You're, this is who your identity is. So there'll be, um, it's not that there's not going to be uh, differences of people in that we're going to be like angels. But if your marriage is good, it's, that's great because God created marriage to be the deepest connection two people can share on earth. Two become one flesh. This doesn't just end in heaven, but it does change. And I'll be honest, there's a mystery there that I don't completely understand. But there's a lot of mysteries about trying to walk with Jesus and the kingdom of God on earth that I don't totally understand, but I do know that the Bible says everything we do now is partial. 
everything we will do then is complete and full. The best relationship I have on earth, it's epic, by the way, um, it will be different. If my marriage is looking through a, a glass dimly and eternity is seeing clearly, loving on a different level, a whole, wholer, sure, a more complete, full level that will come uh, after I die here, then by faith I say, awesome. But it doesn't mean that you're no longer friends, that there's no longer a special connection, that you won't have something special with your spouse or a family. But somehow, when sin is removed and we're all standing together in the presence of God for eternity with the angelic realm and there are no limitations to knowledge or love, there's something that's going to be more complete. Jesus is coming against the hypothetical and I don't even think it's in my notes, but do you notice with these men's question, there isn't a thing in there about how this woman felt? Could you imagine burying seven spouses? Could you imagine the brokenness? They were like, who gets her? I, I'm going to smack those dudes upside the head. That was like, no one, but Jesus is saying on a whole different thing. He knew this woman's hypothetical question but there would be a, a brokenness there that would have would have bummed Jesus out that wasn't even if she wasn't able to have children there was just a lot going on in this woman's world they weren't even concerned about that they were trying to trap Jesus in words and he took it as an opportunity to be like you don't know you don't know the you don't know the scriptures relationships will be the same in heaven we will have them, but they will be different. Second thing he says is they did not know the power of God. That is, who God is. So they didn't know what God said or who God is. Look at verse 26. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses? So they believed in the, they, the, they followed the first five books of the, the Bible. In the passage about the bush and how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, that's all a question. So he's asking the question back. As far, as far as the dead being raised, it's not an if, it's a when. He says, haven't you read when Moses was walking in the burning, in the, in the burning hot desert, when he was walking in the desert? After he fleed for his life, after he was raised in the palace, Moses finds himself out being a shepherd in the desert for 40 years. Oh, there's such a good message about contentment in there. It's not found in the palace. It's found in the presence of God. Anyways, I'll preach that one another day. But he is out walking in the desert, and as he did, he came up, stumbled across a, a bush. It was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. They would have known this for sure. It's... It's part of their heritage and part of their identity as a people. 
And they were like, yeah, of course. And so Jesus said, remember how God spoke to him? And this is what God said. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Not, hey, Moses, I was the God. He didn't say I was the God. He said I am the God. You are quite, he is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. You know, when God spoke to Moses in the desert, Abraham had been dead for 400 years, 400 and some odd years. And Jesus said, I am the God of Abraham when he spoke to Moses. He was introducing, he was speaking to Moses who he was. And he says, I am saying that Abraham is, I'm still Abraham's God. He is still mine. Yeah, he's been dead for 400 years, but I got him. He's with me. As Jesus was speaking this on the Tuesday in the temple, the temple court, Abraham was still alive, even though at this point he had died a couple of thousand years before. So they're giving him a hypothetical. He's like, actually, you don't know what you're talking about because it's going to be different in heaven than the framework that you've laid out for me. It's going to be better. Oh, and Abraham, you know, He's doing great. So is Isaac. So is Jacob. So is Sarah. Who's Sarah? Abraham's wife. So is Rebecca. Who's Rebecca? Isaac's wife, right? Rebecca, yes. So is Rachel. Who is Rachel? Jacob's wife. See, it's not just the people that, you, that they were thinking about. It's all people. All people that have gone before us in faith are doing just fine. As a matter of fact, they are seeing things fully, clearly. And it's like, well, what if they had a message? What would they say? And I believe they would be like, just keep going. Keep trusting because God has got it dialed in way more than you could think. So much so that we have a scripture that says more, more than you could ask or even imagine is what God has in store for those who love him and follow him. Hypothetical questions. They often come from an extreme example example of trying to get God to fit into our framework. When you approach God, especially if you're given to worry, if you have experienced trauma, it's easy to approach God with an already built framework as if God's already going to let you down before you start talking to him. He's already not going to come through before you start talking to him. He's already mad at you before you come to him. We have these things that we built. Don't, bu- don't put hypotheticals in the, in the front, just approach Jesus for who he is. We'll look at a genuine question in a sec, but we want to approach Jesus for just who he is. The, he's the king of heaven and earth. He's the one who writes the living words. He's the one who hears your prayers, who knows your name, even if no one else in the world does. He sees your circumstance, and he has plans the best plans, eternal plans. And this also helps us to respond to the type of questions that we get from people. 
sometimes a question is so out there, so filled with preconceived notions, it's hard, it's hard to dialogue with someone. And you end up getting in an, maybe an arguing match. You ever argued with someone, and then you about five minutes in, you're like, I don't even know what we're arguing about, but I know that we are arguing about something. Every married person in here is like, yep. Sometimes it's like that. And I've had all these arguments. You're trying, and I'm like, are we really arguing about some, surf, some like weird thing? Man, what this person needs to know is what the Bible really says and who God really is. And I love that that's what Jesus boiled it down to. Let's look at a genuine question now. Let's move from hypothetical to genuine. First of all, how do you know what kinds of questions are genuine? Well, is there a desire to learn something or just to talk? That's always, is it conversational in nature? Is there a difference from, hey, let me ask you something, or, hey, can I ask you a question? Is it conversational in nature? And is there room for Jesus to actually answer? Let's look at, let's look at one. Verse, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard him disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, this account is given in all the synoptic, synopt, synoptic, I don't know, synonyms, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. And if you look at each one of them, sometimes there's like a splash of color here, a splash of color there that just really adds to the fullness of what's going on. If you look at it in Matthew, it says the Pharisees were watching because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't get, they, they weren't like friends. They were against each other. So they would wait, and they're always looking to see when someone else was down, they would come in and like try to kick them. So Jesus just answered the, the Sadducees really well, like shut them up. And the Pharisees are like, oh, snap, he got them. Now it's our turn. So they come rolling in, and, and it says, um, when they saw that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, then they came in. And this guy who asked a question was a scribe. As a matter of fact, he was a lawyer. He was an expert in what the Bible says. That was his whole life, an expert in what the Bible says and communicating what the Bible says to people, what the Old Testament said to people. And so he, said, he came up and he said, which commandment is the most important of all? This guy's life was built around God's commandments, teaching them, following them. Traditionally, check this out, the scribes and the Pharisees, they spoke and lived uh, 613 individual commandments of the Mosaic Law. So their world was written around 613 rules. There was 365 negative ones, and 248 positive ones, negative ones. Don't do this. 365, one for every day of the year. When you wake up, and you're like, ah. Don't do this. Got it. Off for my holy day. 613 
laws is what they... Now, they believed that they were all binding, but they assumed a distinction between the weightier laws and the lighter laws, and a lot of their life was lived in the realm of arguing over which ones were real important, which ones were sort of important, which ones were not as important, and then telling people as someone would come to them and be like, oh, I did this, and they would kind of weigh it out and be like, well, you know, that one's, that's pretty important. Here's, you know, the sacrifice that you should make. And, and so they're always arguing which ones are the most important, which ones are lighter. So he comes and he was like, which is the most important of all of them? And I think you have to read between the lines a little bit here. Listen to the tone and the conversation like the other one. But I think that this man perhaps had been thinking a lot about this. Which is the biggest commandment of them all? It's a pretty specific question. Maybe he'd spent a lot of time in his life being like, man, there's a lot of laws. There's so many. Can someone follow them all? What is the most important? And really just from this place of, I, in his own life, trying to figure out if there was more to faith than just living according to 613 laws of right and wrong. Jesus answered him, and here's what he said, verse 29. Jesus answered and said, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Verse 31, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, he didn't say, you are wrong, and here's how you're wrong. As a matter of fact, we'll see in a minute, he says, you're on the right track. So this is a genuine question. What's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. As a matter of fact, in Matthew, with a little splash of color, it says, on this statement that Jesus made, he says, you can hang the entire Old Testament on that statement. You can hang all of the law, all of the prophets, all of the things that were written about the one that was to come, and you can hang them all on this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He actually quoted what is known as the Shema. A Shema is a declaration of faith that Jewish people would say every morning where he said, the most important is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, it's taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And let me read it to you. Hear, o, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. This is talking about giving of the law. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So good. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. So good. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Bracelet, WWJD, any of those in the house? No, not, it's not anymore. A few years ago, there would have been a lot of them. Uh, write them as a sign on your hand. 
and they shall be as fontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's a beautiful scripture. And they would say that every morning. It'd actually be a great thing to say. You know what they did? They actually, the Pharisees, took this so literally that they wrote this verse on a little piece of um, parchment and they wore it in a box on their forehead where it says, bind them as fontlets between your eyes. They did it. They wrote it down and they wore it's called a phylactery and they would wear it on their heads and walk around and it was kind of like a sign of like that person loves the word of God. They are literally duct taped it to their forehead. Fashion over function for sure. You can tape the word of God to your forehead all day long and miss what it's saying. They literally wore it on their forehead. But what Jesus is saying is all of God's laws are fulfilled in Jesus, not us. We can't fulfill any of them. But if we give our lives to Jesus, we place our faith and our trust in him, we fulfill all of them. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. In him are fulfilled all of the law and all of the prophets. And as we love him with our whole being, our heart, our mind, this is talking about all of who you are, your emotions, your priorities, the things that bring strength and security. That's why we talk about giving financially. It's not that I can buy a sweet car or something. It's that you are able to worship God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and, and receive from God um, as you love God and love others, just the outpouring of God's wholeness and peace in your life and prosperity in a heavenly way. It's to not just learn more about who God is, but like know Jesus more. That's the whole point. The more we love him, the more we are open to him pouring more of his word, more of his spirit. The more we love Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. The more we become like Jesus, have you noticed this trend? The more you start to see other people through Jesus's eyes. To where you look at someone and they're not an enemy to battle, but rather a possible brother or sister where someone, because of their background or upbringing or past mistakes or all of these things, they don't be, you're not like, oh, I'm so different than that person. Our natural outpouring is we start to see, like, I am so alike that person. As we love Jesus, it's not just about what we do. It, it becomes about who we are. Check this out. The scribe said to him, by this simple statement, by the way, Jesus, this profound statement, Jesus took the entire law, 613 of them, and the way people live based on the word of God and the sacrificial system, the way they approach holiness, their sin, all of it, he distilled it down to two things, love God, love people. And the man responded. This is why I think the guy had been thinking about it a lot. Because here's what he says to Jesus. The scribe said to him, you're right. Teacher, 
you have truly said he is the one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. God met him where he was at and answered a question and the guy's like, man, you're right, I've been thinking about it. To love God with just to be with who I am and to love my neighbor as myself. Now, Jesus has another teaching on who's your neighbor. Spoiler alert. It's not the person who looks like you, who votes like you, drives the same car as you do. Like, it's a Jeep thing you wouldn't understand. We, sometimes we think that it's like it's a Christian thing you wouldn't understand. Well, help them understand because that's the whole point. The people of God are supposed to help people understand. I like this question. So I think it was from a place of really not wanting to fit the kingdom of God into his own framework, but he was wondering, does the framework I have built up from actually fit into the kingdom of God? It's opposite. It's a great way to approach God. Hey, here's where I'm at. Does this fit with what the Bible says and who God really is? And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And it says in all three of the, in all Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it said, after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions to try to come against him the way he was, he was answering. He said to the God, guy, you're on the right track. What happened to this guy? No closure. I am a closure person. When movies just end, I'm like, that was the worst movie ever. I want to know what happened to the dude. Did he, did he live happily ever after? You know, sometimes I think that the Lord leaves things open because then we can't draw conclusions about that dude. Well, did he get it figured out? Did he give his life to Jesus the way I was told that someone has to give their life to Jesus? Was it more process? What did Jesus mean when he said, you're on the right track? You are not far from the kingdom of God. And he just kind of, sometimes Jesus just leaves things out in the open. And that man had to walk through, but he knew to love God with his whole heart and with his life and where he was at and not compare it to the, pre, to the scribe next to him or the person over here, but to just love God with where he's at and what he has and do his best to see honor and give honor and identity and humanity to other people was what God was calling him to do. And that pleased God. Can somebody receive that today? That it's a lot simpler than trying to fix everybody else. If we can, I call this being faithful with what God has put in front of you. When you look at your life and trust, I get it. The world has got some issues. We live in a country that has issues like every other country. We live in broken systems. We're doing our best to make it through. But when you distill down your world, when God says, be faithful, you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, it really zooms things in to where you're at. He says to this man, you're on the right path. Let me tell you where I, where I want to be. 
Jesus says, broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the path that leads to life. I just want to be on the right path. It's not the right program. Just walking with Jesus. God, I love you. Help me to understand what's going on in the world. I know I only see things partially, but will you guide us through this time? Will you, you know, keep showing us who you are? Let me close with this one verse. I think it'll make, I think it'll maybe ring true in a new way. Anybody been to any weddings yet this summer? Nobody yet? You've been to a couple? Did they read 1 Corinthians 13 at the wedding? Love is patient, love is kind. Well, you'll probably hear this, it's great verses, but let me read it in context of what we've been talking about today. 1 Corinthians 13. So it's Paul talking. He says, if I speak of the tongues of man and tongues of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So he's saying if I get all of this stuff, if I can do all of this stuff and love is absent, it's, it's, it's I gain nothing, it's worth nothing. And then he says this, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. There's this whole dilemma of what is temporary and partial and that what is perfect and complete. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. I have questions. I only know in part. Then I shall know fully. I will know even as I have been fully known. So there's this then, there's this now, and I find myself in the in-between. Last week we talked about one foot in each place. So what do I do? How do I go? Here's how it ends. So now on the in-between, faith, hope, and love, these are what we have. But the greatest of these is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And as you do that, the second one is a byproduct. 
you will love your neighbor as yourself. There's all these things that are happening, but in the meantime, we just come to church on Sunday to be together and we worship God. We open his word and we say, Lord, here's where I'm at. Here's my situation. I trust you. You turn to someone after church and you're like, how's life? And they're like, man, it's tough. Can I pray for you? Because faith, hope, and love, it's what we have in each other. So we press on. God gives us more of his spirit. We see that there are more people who have questions and God is placing you in their life. It's this rad rhythm that is happening. And we just want to place ourselves in the middle of it. So I want to pray. And uh, we're going to sing this last song. And then uh, we'll get on with our Sunday. But there are some of you today that might have questions for God. Why has my life gone this way? What happened to the plan that I thought that was going to come to fruition? Why these things along the way? I want to pray for you just that um, there could be a real sense of God's presence in your life, his, the love that he has for you because he's never left you. He will never leave you. He's never forsaken you. But sometimes a Sunday gathered like this is a great place to just maybe we could leave going, God, I'm back on track. I want to walk this path with the Lord. So I want to pray for you. Um, let's do that. Lord, we thank you for today and for your word. Lord, before we come at you with our, in question, with our questions, help us to have the right heart behind the questions. I know that I've come to you in a pretty interrogating manner, like an entitled child. And I don't want to do that. I want to I approach you with who you are and deserve to be, the one who sees everything complete and clear, who is with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Rachel, even just everyone that, is, that has gone before us, Lord, they see things that we don't. And they're telling us along the way through your word. Even if you could do all of these things, if it's void of love, it benefits nobody. Love is the greatest. Lord, I want to pray for those that, for all of us, not that we could love you more, but that we would have the capacity to experience more of your love in our lives. Would you rock us with how much you love people, with the plans that you have, with the, uh, the, the things in this world that you want to show us, with what it is to experience grace and forgiveness and contentment and joy May we experience your love that it was so much so that we couldn't contain it all and it would just spill out into the people to our left and to our right. We love you, Lord. We sing the song to you in Jesus' name. Amen.